Our passage this morning is found in the New Testament, the the book of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to read the entire chapter together, not an overly lengthy chapter, and really both uh, the sermons this morning as well as this afternoon are hopefully um, appropriately focused on not only kind of a reflection on this past year, but also anticipation of the uh, coming year. Now this afternoon we're going to be focusing on uh, a chapter from the book of Joshua that comes more in narrative or story form as we look forward to the presence of God that goes before us into the coming year. Uh, But uh, this morning is more, uh, this is not a narrative or a story, but it's more uh, along the lines of what we call epistolary literature, dealing with concepts and basic truths for us to appropriate and appreciate and live out. And we are going to be uh, considering this morning uh, the reality of uh, challenges that we face in the coming year, individually and also as a church. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, as God's people, when we go into the future, we look forward to how the Lord is going to bless us. Because he says, um, Jesus, I do not leave you as orphans. Uh, and he says, uh, at the, the time of the Great Mission Commission, lo, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. And so that's a great encouragement to us. But we're also going to face challenges that are going to require us to... Um, embrace those challenges with courage, with strength, with resilience, with maturity. To, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we all, whether men or women or children, we must act like men. We must act like men. That's the phrase that we're going to be considering this morning. We find it here in this passage. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, now concerning the collection for the saints as I delivered, uh, or as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Um, A a quick note here, you know, when you look at the scriptures, a number of occasions, the Apostle Paul has a deep burden for the poor. And particularly those churches that are struggling with poverty. And he's always calling the churches, come on, let's take care of each other. Let's take collections. Let's take offerings for the, for, to, to help our brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in poverty. Verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers." Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. 
Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this, this last chapter is a, a quite a different chapter than the one that precedes it because the chapter that precedes it, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is known as the great resurrection chapter of the Bible. From the very first verse to the very last verse, it deals with the matter of the resurrection, the historicity of the resurrection, that is the reality of the resurrection in space and time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope of our own resurrection one day, the blessings of the resurrection, not only physically one day, but spiritually already in this life. So Apostle Paul deals with all these things in that great resurrection chapter. Now in chapter 16... He's dealing with what we call varia, or miscellaneous matters. Um, matters that relate to certain persons, and Paul lays them out that we find uh, figuring prominently a number of them in the New Testament. There are encouragements here, and there are also challenges as well. And one of the challenges that we find is verse 13. So if you have your Bibles... Um, I want to draw your attention to verse 13, and I've said it before, and I really want to encourage us. It's the beginning of a new year, and if you don't have this practice, I want you to engage the practice of bringing your Bibles with you. We don't have Bibles in the pew like we've had in the past. Break out of it. Take your Bible with you. Just don't, you know, uh, look at the screen. Take it with you. Take a pen along or a highlighter. Take notes as we go along. It's a great blessing, all right? Now, verse 13 we find this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And what I want to do this morning, I want to focus just on one phrase, okay? It's a very simple phrase, act like men, act like men, which is... Uh, Interestingly, it's only one word. You find this sometimes when you deal with original languages that you have a number of words that are translated in the original language, uh, a translation, obviously, that we have in English, but sometimes what you find is a shortening of matters in the original language, and this is really just one word that consists of a noun and a verb that are attached to each other, and the noun is men, and the verb simply means to be or to act. So the translation that we have here is a good translation. And it's saying that we are to act like men, which, if you think about it, um, is not exactly very flattering to women. What do you mean i got to act like a man? Now, let's understand what the passage is really saying here, because remember, this is addressed to the entire church. This is not just addressed to men, although I want to at times focus on the men, especially here uh, this morning. 
But really, when you, when, you, when, you, when you look at this, this phrase, act like men, it's not saying regarding women and children, be a man, because God has created you in a different way. And, and, and you notice whenever we sing, and sometimes we sing in different parts, like we did during the time of the Christmas Eve service where the men would sing sometimes, when the women sing sometimes. And it, it, it is, I don't know if you ever think about this, but this is a very beautiful thing because then you begin to see the created biological differences between men and women, just in terms of the voices. And it's a reminder to us. But the passage here is not calling for women to be men, but for women and children and men to be or act like men. In terms of embracing, which is important for us for the coming year, embracing the very qualities or characteristics of strength, of courage, of maturity, of resilience. Paul says act like men. Act like men. Now if you take a look at verse 13, you'll see that there are certain phrases here that are rather masculine in nature and that take initiative. Verse 13, it says, be watchful. It doesn't really say be watchful about what. Probably be watchful in terms of your own faith. Be watchful that you walk with the Lord. Be watchful that you fight the good fight of faith. Be watchful or be on the alert for the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, as we read in the book of 1 Peter. Be watchful. Elders, pastors, be watchful. Be watchful of anything that can come into the congregation and cause insidious things. Draw people away from Christ. Be watchful. Here's another masculine trait. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Right? Be strong. And then notice verse 14. Let all that you be... Let, how does it put it? Uh, let all that you do be done in love. Which, if you think about it, love is also um, a masculine trait. You know, we, we are in this society where love is just kind of a, a touchy feeling, a deep desire, romanticism, right? Now, obviously, love does carry with it desire, otherwise, how can it be really love? But, when you take a look at the biblical description of love in the word agape, at the heart of the word agape, or the Greek word for love, is self-sacrifice, there is no true love that you have for another individual unless it puts that individual before yourself. We find this in Ephesians chapter 5, right? In Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. The love of Christ was so real and so strong that he was willing to give his life for you and me. Husbands, that self-sacrifice you are called to as well. Be aggressive with your love. So verse 13 carries with it strength, it carries with it dignity, carries with it focus, all of these masculine traits. Now, you might, when you read something like this, you might ask yourself the question, why does the Apostle Paul write this at the end of his letter? At least one of these phrases, among others that are masculine, uh, act like men. Why does he do that? And the fact of the matter is, here's the reason why. Because when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole, what you discover is that the Corinthians were not masculine in terms of their commitment to Christ, but in reality they were acting like little boys. 
Or actually, the Apostle Paul goes on even before that, and he says, he, he, he refers to the Corinthians at the very beginning of the letter. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he does not shy away from having to say things that he needs to say. And he actually describes the Corinthians as so immature that he calls them infants in the faith. He writes this, chapter 3, verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. That is, people have committed themselves to the world and not to Christ. He says, I, I, I consider you as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, but not solid food, he says, because you weren't ready for it. So when you, when you examine the, the Corinthian church as a whole, what you discover is that because of their immaturity in the faith, they were falling into things like, well, a lot of infighting in the church, there were political factions in the church, um, the, uh, the people were getting drunk at the Lord's table, you know, because, because back then the Lord's Supper was connected with what was called a love feast. So it was a meal as a whole. And they served wine at the meal, and rather than controlling themselves, they were drinking in an uncontrolled fashion. They were getting drunk. They were considering themselves more important than each other, so it was their lack of self-sacrificial love. Um, there, was, there was a lot of sex stuff going on in the church, you know, my goodness, there was even a case of incest in the church. And then on top of that, what was happening is that they were not considering and submitting to the authority of the apostles. So, without going on and on about this, you see that there's a whole lot of immaturity, a lot of childish, infancy, spiritual infancy in the church. What does the apostle Paul say to him? You know what he says? He says, you've got to grow up. You've got to grow up. You've got to man up. As we would say... Uh, today. He, he considers and he um, underscores the importance of moving from immaturity to maturity when he says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Would you put the passage up on the screen if you would? He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, then I put away childish things. We were all little boys and we were all little girls at one point. But there comes a time, as time moves on in our lives, where you've got to put those little childish ways behind us and move on to maturity. You know, you expect a three or four-year-old little boy, let's say, you expect, him to, you expect to go into the living room and find your little three or four-year-old son I don't know, playing with trucks on the floor, right? Imagining things, right? But imagine as wives, if you would come home and you go in the living room and you see your grown husband playing around with trucks on the ground. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think too highly of that. The Apostle Paul says there's a time for childhood things, but there's a time when we need to, we need to grow up. We need to grow up. Now, when you, when, you, when you consider a, a passage like this and you really start working through your mind, what does it really mean to act like men and to embrace the characteristics of a man? You, you realize that as you examine the world around you that we're not encouraged in that really, are we? You know, we, we live in an age of what's called toxic masculinity, right? Where young men are not encouraged to be men and to embrace the characteristics of men 
but in many ways, they're discouraged from doing that. We're living in a time increasingly where little boys are either growing up in families without dads, because you learn to be a man from your dad, or um, they're growing up in homes where there is a dad, but he's kind of a dad who's a no-show, spiritually speaking. Little boys learn from their fathers, whether good or ill, right? We are living in an age increasingly of androgyny. Now, there's a word maybe some of you have never heard before, but androgyny has to deal with individuals who really embrace both characteristics of men and women to the point where it's really reflected in their appearance, which undermines <laughs> the, the, the created differences biologically that God has put in place between men and women, between boys and girls. We're living in an age of puberty blockers and testosterone inhibitors and gender dysphoria and these kinds of things. This is, this is, this is the world in which we live. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, these, these, these very things that are so prominent in the culture that are not only accepted today, but approved today, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, as a church, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, be a man, man up, and be willing to live in a countercultural fashion. Even if you have to take the hit for it. You know, Getting back to more positively what it means to, to act like a man, as I said, remember I said there's, there's three words here, but it's really one word in the original language. And if you take a look at that word in the original language, and as you begin to break it down, as you begin to parse it, especially grammatically, you, you, you learn some things. Here's, here's three things that we learn. I'll be brief with this. First of all, when you, when you look at that one word for act like men in the original language, you see that it comes in the present tense. It doesn't come in the past tense where the Apostle Paul says, you had acted like men, but now it's no longer necessary. This is something that has to be an ongoing reality in our lives, and it must, it must reflect us all, and it must reflect pathway on an ongoing basis. Act like men, continue to act like men. Don't become weary, don't become weary. Secondly, it comes in the what we call the imperative mood. And when something comes in the imperative mood, it comes as a command, or comes with a sense of urgency, where the Apostle Paul says, act like men. It does not come as an option. It comes as an imperative. It comes as a command. It comes with urgency. And when you think about the world in which we are living, it comes with even greater urgency. See the countercultural matter there. And finally, he says this. Not only does that one word come in the present tense, in the imperative mood, but it comes in the middle voice. And something that comes in the middle voice comes in connection with a person that performs an action on themselves. So when the Apostle Paul says, act like men, he's basically saying, don't have someone else act like a man, but you don't. Or don't have someone else act for you as a substitute. Y'all, everyone, act like men. Act like men. Now, this is, my friends, listen, this is, this is not something that comes naturally to us. Even as men, it doesn't always come naturally to us. We've got to fight for it. 
Got to fight for it. You know, think, think about what Paul is dealing with here. Do you, it, it could very well be that, in fact, we know this. Sometimes Paul went to the Corinthians, who were commercially, business-wise, very successful, but spiritually immature, in part because they're recent converts. But there were times when Paul came in his preaching with great fear and trembling. Not only because he was preaching the word of God, that, that in itself creates trembling, if you really believe this book. But, but no doubt there were fears about what people were thinking, and maybe that was part of Paul's heart and spirit when he's having to tell them, you know what, be strong, act like men. Because right now you're not doing that. This has always been the challenge for people to be mature and courageous and strong. And this is, this is not only what we find here in the Bible about 2,000 years ago, but it's, 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 it has always been in every generation the challenge of the church, including women and children, to act like men. There is a, I don't know if you've seen this, gives a little bit of a break here, but um, there is a, 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 an American painter named Norman Rockwell I assume a number of you have heard of him. And Norman Rockwell uh, would provide illustrations for the Saturday Evening Post and Life magazine, which I don't even know if they're still around anymore. But anyway, he's very popular for these illustrations during the time of the 20s, but especially the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And there is this one illustration that he has. It's simply called Sunday Morning. I don't know if you've seen this. I'm going to sh- I'm in just a moment, don't show it yet, but in just a moment, um, I'm going to show it to you. Because it gives us a bit of a visual. And you're going to find a dad who wakes up in the morning and he's just slumped over in, a, in, a, in an easy chair and he's got papers all around because he's reading the newspaper. He got up in the morning, he's having a smoke, he's reading the paper and he's just hanging out in his bathrobe and his slippers. And behind him is his wife with three kids. And he's looking this way, and they're walking this way, and you got that wife, and they're all dressed up, and guess where they're going? They're going to church. So this is what you get. Now, I don't show visuals here that often. I don't want to replace it with the Word of God. But just take a look at that. Here's a guy. Notice he knows what's going on, but he's doing nothing. He's sitting on his you-know-what. And then you got the wife and the kids. This looks like it's probably from the early to mid-50s, and there they are. They're walking to church, and she doesn't he even have the respect to look them in the eye. She's just walking. And you know what? It's interesting, take a look at paintings and just, just look at them for a long time sometime and you gather all what's going on. They're dressed, they're ready to go and you know what? They are moving in one direction. He's sitting, but they're one direction and they're moving where? They're moving to the house of God. All right, we're done with that. So, let's consider the new year. And let this be a year where we commit ourselves, every one of us, to acting like men. That may seem strange for all of us to do that, but let us all act like men. And I, I want to say this, especially for the men here. Gentlemen, we need to act like men. 
So what that means here is this. And, and I thought about this. So husbands, dads, you who are married and you who have children, commit yourself to coming to worship. At the very least, come in the worship. And come in the morning. And don't you dare have your wife be like that wife in the painting saying, honey, we really need to go. Let's, let's go this morning. You be the one. You be the one. Say, honey, we're going to go. We've got to go. And you take your kids and you take them to worship. Do you remember, um, do you remember a vision at Pathway? It's inward upward, outward, provides a balanced church, right? Do you remember the first of our core values? First core value, be all in. Be all in. Gentlemen, we're not all in unless we show up here, unless you take your wives with you and you take your children with you. Now, please, do not interpret this as a smackdown. That never works with anyone. But let it be the strong encouragement to man up. To man up. Take your wives, take your children. Elders, act like men. Be strong, be resilient. Deacons too, act like men. Be strong, be resilient, love your work, pastor your people, Invest in their lives. Continue the vision with the pathway. Move it forward. Pastor. Be a man. Do what the Apostle Paul calls Timothy to do. Be sober. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't view the church as a project but view the people of God, invest in them, do the work of evangelists, reach out to others who don't know Christ, and where you need to repent, you better repent. Yeah, that applies to me, applies to all of us. Repentance is life, my friends. Repentance and faith and commitment to Christ is life. Young men, play the man. Play the spiritual man. Do you know what I've found out in the ministry? I have found, and I can see it on their faces sometimes in worship, I know the women whose husbands are not leading them. I can just tell it. Young men, 20, 30, whatever. Whether you're single whether you have a wife, especially if you have a wife, maybe kids, play the spiritual man. Play the spiritual man. Because you know what? And if you're dating, and I'm going along with this, but I want to say this. If you're a young man and you're dating a girl, do you know if she she's, has even a remnant of the spirit in her, you know what she's looking for in you? She's looking for a spiritual man. A lot of guys think if they're buff, the chicks are going after them. They're thinking that if they have a nice face, and I know women, they'll take a nice face even over a body. That's how they are, right? 
But you know what? A woman is willing to give up some of these things if she senses that that man is a spiritual man and he's going to be a spiritual leader to her. It's true. Play the man. And finally this, little boys. You ever see those shirts? No whining, right? No whining. No complaining. You know why? It doesn't help. It doesn't help. And when you get to be a man, when you grow up, you can't be a man of of complaint. You can't be whining about things. you got to play the man and endure hardship and keep facing the challenges that are before you. So, be courageous, be strong. Look at the Bible. Look at Bible figures. Just bear with me here just a moment. Remember David? Kids, you remember David? We oftentimes think of David, you know, when he, remember he faced a mighty Goliath, and sometimes we think, oh, he was like eight or nine or ten years old. It could be that he was a teenager, it could be that he was a young man. None of the other Israelites wanted to fight Goliath, but David said, I'm going to do that. And you know he what? He was a spiritual man. And how do we know? Because he said, the battle is the Lord's. And he swung and he swung and down went Goliath, the mighty David. Men, let us look to David. Let us look to Joshua, who, as we're going to look at this afternoon, led the people over the swollen Jordan River in order to go into the promised land and fight for that land and conquer that land. Young men, men generally speaking, be a Joshua, be a David, um, be, a, be, a, be a Samson, right? Samson who, who fought 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey, Right, and who pulled those pillars of the temple down upon himself and upon the Philistines in order to defeat them. Be like a Gideon who fought thousands of Midianites with, you remember how many men? Just 300. 300 against thousands. And he was willing to fight. Why? Because the Lord confirmed to him, he said, I am going to be with you. And Gideon didn't question that. He played the man and he believed the Lord. Do not... Do not be like a Barak. Remember Barak and Deborah? And Barak, read about this in the book of Judges. And Barak said as they faced a great enemy, he said to Deborah, you know what? I will go fight against the enemy as long as you go with me. As long as you go with me. Don't be an Ahab where it was Jezebel. If you look at Ahab, here he was a king. Who wore the pants in the family? Jezebel. Read that story. Play the man. Herod, one more example. It was Herod's wife that asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And in order to save face with his guests, he went ahead and did as his wife commanded him. Was it the Lord's will? Absolutely not. But he decided to listen to his wife. Brothers, God is not calling us to this. He's calling us to manhood. He's calling us to Christian virtue. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to leave you with this quote and make a few comments after that and we'll be done. The book is called The Art of Manliness and one of his chapters is on Christian virtue. If you put that up there, take a look at the screen if you would. To be a man is to be a person of virtue. Now the writer says this, virtue has gotten a bad rap in our modern age. It is often seen as a religious preoccupation, unfairly saddled with sissy or effeminate associations. However, virtue is far from being the domain of the pansy. Actually, the word virtue is firmly rooted in manliness. Virtue comes from the Latin virtus, which in turn is derived from vir, which is Latin for manliness. 
Thus, when ancient philosophers like Aristotle encouraged men to live the virtuous life, they were essentially calling men to man up. So I want to end with this. And I'm going to read this because I want to get it right. Every Christian should want to reflect the virtues of our text. The virtues of strength, courage, maturity, resilience. Doing the right thing when everybody else is saying, no, 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 no. In a sense, we should all want to act like men, even women and boys. But the starting point for this is not a rough exterior or emotional flatlinedness. But it's a desire to be like Jesus. For many years as a man, and wrongly so, you know, the Bible says confess your sins to one another. It's not going to make you uncomfortable, what I'm about to say. But for many years, and maybe as men here, you have this idea that great displays, and, 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 and part of this, I think, has come through military training. Some of it's just in, in my personality. Sometimes it's very easy to think as a man that if I display transparency and openness, um, and a heart for the things of God, that that is, um, that that's a, and I've talked with other men like this, that's a sign of weakness. I, was, I knew it was wrong, and I knew it wasn't the way of Jesus, but this, this is the struggle. This is the struggle. And it's not weakness. The Apostle Paul says it's strength. It's strength. Our desire must be to be like Jesus. And who was Jesus? He was a man's man who possessed a combination of virtues that every one of us should aspire to, such as humility, self-sacrifice, dedication, courage, compassion, and a complete and resolute desire to follow the will of the Father all the way to the end. And that road that he had to take, that he knew would end up at the cross and the crucifixion of his body and a painful death, he said, you know what? My mission, my will, he says in the Bible, is to do the will of my heavenly Father. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is to be a resolute desire to fill, fulfill my Father's will. The new year is before us, my friends, and may God, and this is my encouragement, give us the courage and the will to act like men. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, give us the will, especially as men, to act like men. To act like men, Lord, um, when we are alone with our thoughts and no one else is looking in. Help us to be like men 
with our wives and with our kids. Father, help us, especially as men, to give that example to our boys, especially. Our daughters, too, who need the nurture of a father. But also to our boys, who need to see in us a resolute and overriding commitment to Jesus. Father, help us to act like men in our jobs, in the difficulties and challenges that we face in this world, and also in this church. Give us that ability, Father, and Lord, for all of us, instill in us those ongoing attributes, masculine attributes of courage, of strength, maturity, depth, singular focus, and a desire to prioritize the kingdom of God above all things. God grant us all of that now, and we pray in the coming year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.